Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. We are joining you today, episode number 10. Whoa. I am your host, uh, Ginger. Um, I don't know, describe myself. Man, still stuck in quarantine. Mackenzie. <laughs> and I am joined once again by the Canadian VR, their director extraordinaire, uh, Lady of Muskoka, and now also the Julia Child of Muskoka, oh. Autumn Smith. Yes. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, Autumn today is baking a very special birthday cake. That's right. Today, birthday cake, tomorrow, meat pies. Mm. We are going back into the Sondheim canon. Woo-hoo! For our, this will be our, technically our fourth Sondheim because we've done West Side. We've yes. done, we've done Merrily. Yes. We've done Company. And now we're doing. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. His skin was pale and his eye was odd. Yes. He saved the faces of gentlemen who then, who then thereafter were heard of again. He Did trod a path that he loved trod. Yeah. Yes. Did Sweeney That's Todd. Right. Yes, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Served a dark and a vengeful god. Served a dark and a vengeful god. What happened then? Well, that's the play, and he wouldn't want us to give it away. Not Sweeney. Not Sweeney Todd. That little ditty of Sondheim's, you know, really? of cannibalism and revenge and obsession, all types of great things. Now, you and I both had this show on our list of things we want of, of shows we wanted to do so oh, this yeah is easily going to make it into our first few episodes mm-hmm. uh so Otto, why don't you tell us why did you want to do this show for the podcast i mean i'm a london file so yes. any any chance to talk about london <laughs> i'll do it yeah. Um, I also just, I find his trajectory very interesting. I find mm-hmm. he's kind of a microcosm of London itself at the time, of the that's, Victorian era. That's, so yeah. I, I, really, I really appreciate the way that this is mm-hmm. um, crafted, mm-hmm. uh, especially by a, an American composer. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's London, the idea of, of the alleyways and the idea that he gets away with this and Lovett gets away with the crime for so long yeah. is indicative of a, a thought I've always had about London as a Caucasian person. Mm-hmm. It is the only city in the world where I could completely disappear. Yeah. And I think that's probably why, you know, at the time, <clears throat> policing was was not very prolific. No. <laughs> and industrial industrial revolution really made cities boom. Mm-hmm. So there became this chaotic, 
yeah. mess of uh, population where there was this seething underbelly all the time. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, because of industry, smog and pollution laid a cloud of black over the city. So you couldn't see anymore. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. always in this veil of darkness. Love and that. people became very paranoid about living in these spaces because they knew that the darkness would bring out bad things. They created these penny dreadfuls, which is where- We're going to get into them. Yeah. yeah. That's where he and, came from. That's you where Shimitar came from. They were, they were like these little graphic- Horror stories. Things. Yeah. Um, and stories that played on the fears of the general public. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, Absolutely. Well, yeah. yeah. So many okay. famous ones, and uh, Sweeney Todd was one of them. Although, it, there's possibly some historical accuracy to this guy. There is. Yeah, well, yeah let's address that very, very quickly here. Just because there is, well, well, we don't have full records, because records were not great no. at the time, at that time. So, and there's, as you said, there were so many people in London. There, there could have easily been some type of similar crime that was happening in and around the Fleet Street, London, East Endy area, where somebody was murdering people, and 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 there were some type some type of situation because people were starving, so it was very possible that somebody could have ate, killed somebody, and cooked them up. You never know. So, oh. but there is, but but, but but there is, but there is the thing that there was a meat seller or meat pie person in in Fleet Street, and she was connected to a church, and apparently at one point they did find. Um, her carving up some bodies, some cadavers, uh, down d- down there in the catacombs of London. So, there is there is some historical references in there for sure. Well, we can't say anything for sure. I mean, people historians have searched pages in historical documents to try and find proof, but there hasn't been a full definitive. Yes, this, there was a man named Sweeney Todd. I don't think there ever was. I think there was somebody else. Maybe who probably there's probably some type of similar things. It's kind of like how Law and Order does those based on a true crime situation. I found an article. Okay, what's it say? From uh, the Independent in Britain. Love it. Um, who who uh, shed some light on crime historian Peter Haining, mm-hmm. who plowed through evidence for 25 years before writing. Sweeney Todd, the real story of the demon barber of Fleet Street in 1993. He believed that there was someone like this. Okay. Um, He was so convinced of Todd's existence uh, because of documents he found in the Newgate prison calendar. Okay. Uh, It's a more factual and reliable document than the Prenny Dreadfuls at the time. Perfect. Um, Haining's account is still not widely accepted, but he says that the man was the monstrous product of his hard upbringing, an Mm -hmm. opportunist thief who was barbarous even by the standards of his contemporaries, Mm -hmm. polishing off at least 160 victims in a 17-year killing frenzy. Great. But his name was Sweeney Todd. And He was born in Stepney uh, in 1756. And then he, his first turn in Newgate, 
he became the soap boy to a barber. <laughs> and that, like Pirelli. And that was, yeah. And then he, he went from there. Okay. Um, Interesting. Some say, and it is said that the bodies were left underground in the church, but he sold mm-hmm. the flesh or what he could to um, Marjorie Lovett. Yes. Who was located not on Fleet Street. Figures. But Bell Yard, I think. Okay. Somewhere close by. Okay. So basically he sold the meat to her and she cooked them into pies. Correct. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But the hair and everything. Yep. Was was apparently. Apparently. It is a maybe a fact okay we leave it up to you to figure out what you want yes. to believe i believe it's completely possible i believe there are certain parts that are definitely possible and that and that mm. they were cobbled together to make a great uh penny dreadful story just like how we have modern day law and order episodes where it's like they take the best parts of certain crimes and they make mm. that into one great 45 minute episode wow. for television so I chose this show mm-hmm. uh, because, first of all, it is my favorite score sometimes, musically speaking. Yes. Like this, like this is by far, I, I, I can listen just to the orchestral, the orchestral score of this piece, no problem. It's haunting and it's epic. And the minute the show starts, you are literally blown off your feet by the wall of sound that comes out of this show. Like it is, not, not just from the factory whistle, but from like, just like the orchestra. I mean, the original yeah. production had was a 27-piece orchestra. Like, that's yeah. huge for Broadway. That was a big sound they wanted to create. And it's it's scary. Like, it, I, like it's a scary, thrilling show, and, and it titillates you all at the same time. Like, there's this weird mix of emotions you get watching the show. It's wonderful. Well, you have a protagonist that you're actually rooting for. Evil protagonist. He's a serial it, killer. Yeah, but is he evil though, Autumn? I I, I would say if Bill Sykes is not a villain in in your eyes, and I would say definitely Sweeney Todd should not be a villain. Oh, he's not a villain. Classified as a villain. He's just very confused. But he's a very broken down man. (laughs) He's he's he he chooses anger. All right. Uh, I will also say the only reason why I chose I chose this and why I like it so much is that the lyrics and music are so complex for this show. The amount of like like um intricacies that are involved in this like in the he gives away the entire story in the first few songs in the first few bars of the music with his with, with his motifs and, and, and his light motifs which are for people who don't know they're musical themes basically like, like there's certain things that are associated with the character so if you hear a certain musical phrase you know oh that means it's this person it, it helps the audience recognize but Santan uses this to his advantage and even writes that into other pieces of the music so it hints at certain moments so like for example spoiler alert um sweeney todd uh his wife he thinks is dead at the at the start of the show uh turns out she's not yeah turns out she's not and he ends up killing her uh accidentally not on purpose but he ends up doing that to her uh but Throughout the whole show, that's been hinted on by the fact that the, his wife's musical theme is being played by this other character of the beggar woman. 
that at the time we don't know that she's supposed to be this other character. And then on top of that, he also has the deaf, the iconic uh, deaf motif, the DS Irae, sprinkled in throughout the entire score. The first main melody that we hear of the show is the DS Irae, just pitched up a little bit in the score. Uh, but like the whole time, like he has just done this wonderful thing where he is sprinkle all this in and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize it off the top. And but then the minute you peel back the layer of skin and you get uh. into the fleshy goodness of this story, it's like, oh, there's so much more in here. Well, there's also like the, the like that it sounds like cobblestones, yeah. like things going over cobblestone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's so well, that's the madness theme. That, that, that's Sweeney Todd's madness theme that we hear. The ba da 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 Well, it's that factory theme that we'll see in the show. Well, and part of the factories was getting stuff too, but it has like a distinct cobblestone sound. Yeah, that's true. And the last thing I'll say is why this is such a great show is that for an audience, the concept that we can be so blind to the danger that lies in front of us, that we don't suspect anything, whether it is a unsuspecting meat pie or just going to get a haircut that all of a sudden what is interesting is you know it's playing on the privilege right Mm -hmm. the things we take for granted going to get a haircut is not something everyone can do yes and it's left for the privilege again it's a a very much Mm -hmm. about class yes and like the the seeking of justice against that class system yes is so well done here yes absolutely so anybody who doesn't know what this musical is i'm going to give you a brief kind of plot description i think we spoiled it already well we spoiled the big ending but there's lots of other stuff that goes along in the story so uh sweeney todd tells the story of benjamin barker who is a local barber in London who is wrongfully convicted and sent to Australia for life. Uh, before the musical begins, he escapes and he uh, begins the musical arriving in London uh, thanks to the help of a young sailor named Anthony who, who saw him on the ocean floating on a raft. Uh, so uh, when he arrives in London, uh, Benjamin Barker changes his name to Sweeney Todd uh, as his new alias. Uh, Todd is then accosted by an old beggar woman, uh, he, which frightens him. Uh, he then uh, finds his way back to his old digs with his, with, his, with his former landlady, Mrs. Lovett, who is a meat pie seller of the worst pies in London. That is her, that, that, that is her kind of claim to fame, is that she makes the, the worst meat pies, which is wonderful. Um, and then she recognizes Todd and tells him that his wife uh, went mad from poison and, uh, um, after she was raped by, by Judge Turpin and the Beatle, who were the men who sent Todd to Australia. Todd swears vengeance, especially after he finds out that after raping his wife and driving her uh, to, take, to, to drink poison, uh, Judge Turpin took on his daughter as his ward, which basically meant that she, he was her guardian. So he swears vengeance, and Mrs. Lovett, uh, presents him with his old razors that she kept as, as kind of as kind of a memento to him when he was arrested. Friends, yes, his friends. Um, so then, so very, like the story is very cinematic because then we cut over to Anthony, 
who is wandering London and he comes across uh, Joanna. And, and that turns out to be uh, Todd's daughter, even though he doesn't know that. Uh, so he then falls in love with her on site. Very classic uh, love at first sight story between the two of them. He then swears to free Joanna from Judge Turpin's grasps. And he then goes off to find uh, Sweeney Todd to help him. Uh, in the meantime, we then come back to Sweeney, who has now uh, agreed to be a barber and work in Mrs. Lovett and, uh, uh, above her pie shop. Um, and so they go to to get some uh, notoriety in the city, so they go and challenge the other rival barber, Signor Pirelli, for a shaving and teeth pulling contest. The teeth pulling uh, was later cut from the production. The first little while they had a teeth pulling contest in there, they then felt it was redundant, so they cut it. But they did. Uh, barbers, barbers in Victorian London pulled teeth. Yes. And did bloodletting. Yes. Well, they, they well, well, they were doctors basically back then. Like, like there's a reason why. The, so, fun to circle back. The reason why the barber pole is a white pole with red and blue ribbons on it is because it represents the veins in the in the pole that, they, that the I patient would grip. Yes, that the, and, and the pole the patient would grip when get when getting surgical uh, procedures done. I so, love that. So that's why. Yes, you could go to go to somebody who could just give you a shave. But you go to a barber if you needed a teeth pull or or bloodletting or some other, and that's why they'd have that special insignia by their store that would let them know, hey, I can do a surgery for you as well as something else. Some kind of barbarous deed. Exactly. Oh, oh so my good. God. So good. That's um, awful. Yes, but yeah. So 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 he challenges Pirelli and in the Beetle acts as the judge of the competition. Todd easily wins and. He promises a very impressed beetle a free shave, the closest shave he'll ever know. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Great one. Yes, exactly. Uh, Anthony then finds Todd and informs him uh, uh, of his plan to marry and steal away Joanna. Uh, Mrs. Lovett and Todd both agree to keep Joanna at the shop while he hires the escape coach. And Mrs. Lovett then suggests that because Todd is very excited for some killing, but he should kill Antony uh, so, 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 so that he can't whisk her away to, uh, out of London. Uh, at that point, Pirelli then shows up at Todd's shop. Turns out he recognized Pire or, um, Todd uh, from, from the old days because Pirelli was actually a, uh, like a little assistant to, to Benjamin Barker sweeping up hair and so he tries to blackmail Todd, and Todd commits his first murder by killing off Pirelli in a very dramatic fashion. It's wonderful. Uh, at that point, uh, we then cut over to the judge's court, where uh, he informs the Beatle that he plans to marry Joanna, and the Beatle, suggesting that the judge needs to be more presentable, says you should go have a shave from this guy, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sweeney Todd. And so then we get uh, them walking over to see uh, Todd, uh, Todd <clears throat> uh, greets the judge, and upon an advice from Mrs. Lovett, who told him to not rush the murder, but wait and draw it out, he draws out this moment and misses his opportunity to actually slit his throat, uh, because Anthony returns saying the plan is a go, the judge is furious when he hears this, storms out, swearing he'll never see Todd again, he's going to lock his daughter away from everybody, so, so nobody can find her again. Uh, Todd at that point has a mental breakdown where he swears vengeance on everybody, not just uh, the judge and the Beatle, but 
everybody in London basically. He now is he now, he now has sworn vengeance on them all for what for for, for, for for what they do and who they are. Uh, at the same time, Mrs. Lovett then comes up with the idea of using Pirelli's recently deceased body as meat for her meat pies, as, as, as they have to dispose of the body somehow. Todd thinks this is a great idea, and they decide they're going to kill all of his customers and use their, their flesh for meat pies. So that ends Act 1. Act 2 kicks off with a few weeks later with business doing really well for both of them. Todd has regular customers coming in, and Mrs. Lovett is selling meat pies like crazy. Everybody is going crazy for her meat pies. She's driven her, her competition, Mrs. Mooney, out of business, basically. Right. Um, Not that it, good. Right. Oh, such a great opening act, too. Um, and then we have um, Anthony wandering London trying to find Joanna. He finds her locked in an asylum. Todd then trains Anthony as a wig maker. Because wig makers used to go to Bedlam to get their hair for their wigs. So he's like, well, we'll disguise you as a wig maker, and then you can get in and save Joanna. So he just does that, disguises, disguises Anthony, sends him off to the asylum. Todd then writes a letter to the judge informing him of, of, of Anthony's plan uh, and tells him that uh, he has convinced Anthony to bring Joanna back to his shop later on tonight so the judge should come and get her. Uh, Sweeney Todd does that. At the same time, the Beatles shows up um to because of complaints about the stink from mrs lovett's chimney uh and demands to see into the bakehouse however she won't let him in because mrs lovett has locked her uh assistant tobias who was the assistant of pirelli uh prior to his murder uh in the bakehouse because he has started to, su to suspect sweeney todd of murder as well so todd appears he then convinces the beetle to come up for a shave he then murders the beetle and because uh Tobias is locked in the uh, bakehouse where the bodies are, are, are sent after being murdered. He panics and runs and hides. Mrs. Lovett and Todd try and go to find him, uh, and they go, go, go on a hunt for, for Tobias. Meanwhile, at the asylum, you have uh, Antony's uh, plan going horribly awry, and it ends up with Joanna shooting uh, uh, Mr. Fogg, the, the head of the asylum, so they can escape, which results in the lunatics escaping from the asylum. Which is which causes just even more frenzy on By this point, you can tell the story is just spinning out of control. Bedlam. Ah, <laughs> love it. Uh, love it. Bedlam Rats times two. Yeah, city on fire. It's Crazy. so good. And I will note that the musical theme used for the for the lunatics that escape from Bedlam is the same theme as the Beggar Woman, because she that's her madness theme. It's wonderful. Um, right, so they all escape, uh, and then uh, uh, Anthony brings Joanna to the shop. He has now disguised her as a sailor, and he tells her to wait here for, for uh, Sweeney Todd, and he's going to go get the coach. Todd uh, returns from his hunt for Tobias, unsuccessful. He knows the judge is coming. Uh, he then uh, is, is getting ready for the judge when the beggar woman shows up at his shop, trying to warn him of Mrs. Lovett. Uh, the judge then is heard coming up uh, to his shop. Todd panics and kills the crazy beggar woman in, in, in a moment of in a moment of rushed haste to dispose of the problem. And uh, he then kills the judge in a very climactic moment of the story. Uh, Joanna, having ha, ha, um, having been hiding in his shop the whole time, 
has seen both these murders, tries to escape. However, she is caught by Todd and is also almost killed. However, he is distracted by Mrs. Lovett, uh, who, uh, is, who is heard screaming in the bakehouse. Uh, Todd then goes down to meet her, and in the bakehouse, he discovers that the bigger woman he just killed was his uh, wife, uh, Lucy. Lucy. And that's where, yeah, where the whole <coughs> story comes out. And Mrs. Lovett didn't tell him the whole story, that she didn't die when she took the poison. She she simply went mad from the arsenic. But Which, she never says that she dies. She just said she poisoned herself. Right, and Todd assumes that she dies. So, wow. so technically she's in the clear, but she also exploits that bit of miscommunication to her advantage. Because as it turns out, she has been in love with Sweeney Todd and thinks she would make a better wife for him. And in a fit of rage, Sweeney Todd throws her into her bake oven and burns her to death. In well, her- in, in, in a way, she is the perfect foil for him. Well, it's like Lady Macbeth and Macbeth, right? the perfect match for Sweeney Todd. Yes. She's not the perfect match for Benjamin Barker. Right. That is true. Um, so after killing Mrs. Lovett off, Todd uh, then uh, cradles his now dead wife and Tobias emerges from hiding, having gone mad from everything he has seen. And he picks up Sweeney's abandoned razor and kills Sweeney Todd in a very... Uh, dramatic moment. At that point, the play ends with the police, Joanna and Anthony, all bursting into the bakehouse to find a mad Tobias um, still working away at the meat grinder. And that's how the play ends. Very and that's Sweeney Todd. Yeah, it's a very dark ending. It's not a happy ending. It's very gross. Mm-hmm. It make it makes you squirm in your seat quite a few times. It's wonderful. Well, it's it, it's the first time a musical has been that outwardly grotesque. Yes, absolutely. So, Autumn, uh, I know in the past we've talked about uh, um, Sondheim. We, we've talked yeah. about him. We've talked about Hal Prince, who was the original director and producer. Yeah. Who else do we have for the team that do we want to give a shout out to? Well, interestingly, this piece was based off of a play that um, came out in 1970. It was written by Christopher Bond. Christopher Mm -hmm. Bond is a British playwright um, who deals primarily with issues surrounding uh, the British class structure. So he wrote uh, plays such as Mutiny, Sweeney Todd, Simple Simon, Not So Simple Simon, The Country Wife, the Adventures of Finn McCool, The Beggar's Opera, Tale of Two Cities, Mystery of Marty, uh, Maria Martin, and Alice on the Underground. What I found really staggering about this is that this play, uh, when Sondheim first saw it, mm-hmm. debuted at Theatre Royal Stratford East, which yes. is the home theatre of Joan Littlewood, queen ah. of... of the working class in theater. That's so perfect. It's it's such a brilliant tie-in, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the discussion of class and privilege and what Sweeney actually stands for. Yeah. Uh, it's bringing down that class system in an interesting kind of way. Yes. And then, of course, we have the wonderful Sondheim. If you want his full bio, listen to our episodes of Mary Rolong. Just know yeah. him was accompanied um, 
in this venture with book writer Hugh Callingham Wheeler. Yes. Who was a British novelist, screenwriter, and librettist. Mm -hmm. um, he resided in the States uh, from 1934 until his death. Okay. Um, when did he, he die? Recently? Um, Hugh Wheeler? When did he die? I don't know. Oh, 1987. Okay, so not too recently. He did not live a long life. He, he wrote under uh, the nom de plume Patrick Quentin, Hugh Patrick, and Jonathan <laughs> Stagg and was a mystery novelist uh, and short story writer. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1963, um, his 1961 collection, The Ordeal of Mrs. Snow, was given a special Edgar Award by the Mystery Writers of America. There you go. Uh, he also wrote the books for A Little Night Music and Candide. Uh, ah, that, Wheeler, that next gen. Uh, interesting. Wheeler was also credited as a research consultant for the film Cabaret. Though hmm. so many people think, and many sources say that he was actually a co-writer of the screenplay. I can believe that. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can believe that. So, you definitely can see some of his thumbprints on there in, in, in the adaptation. Thousand percent. Um, and... Uh, of course, it was directed by Hal Prince. Yeah, so Hal and Sondheim Wheeler, based on Bond. It's so good. So good. Let's now dive into production history because we've Woo! got some goodies in here. Just Sweeney Todd it, it, um, ha, um, has his origins in the Victorian serialized popular fiction known as Penny Dreadfuls, which were these kind of novella horror stories where uh, hack writers, people who were just looking to make a buck, could submit a story that they, to, to get published, which is why we don't really know the author of the, of the original Sweeney Todd, Penny Dreadful, because there's just no good records of keeping when, of who wrote what. There's a few candidates, but it's not really well known. Uh, Sweeney Todd appeared in the story, as you said, The String of Pearls, which was published in a weekly magazine during the winter of 1846 to 1847. And the original tale was set in 1785 and features uh, Sweeney Todd. And there are many plot elements that have carried over from that first version, which includes like Joanna getting dressed up in sailor's clothes to the trick barber chair to Mrs. Lovett and the meat pies. There are certain particular plots that showed up. But in the original, there was no revenge plot. It was basically just a story about a guy who's a thief, who's a thief and a murderer. And it's just killing people off. But in the original story, he doesn't slit their throats right away. What he does is he has them sitting in his barber chair and he pulls a switch. And that drops him down a chute into, into like a pit, which kind of incapacitates them. And later on, he, his famous line of the stories is, I'm going to go polish them off. Uh, and then he'll go down and slit their throats with his razor. Uh, and that, but that was a line that actually was cut from the musical. They had apparently in early drafts they had that line in there, and they cut it for the sake of it not being for the sake of it being too well known for for them. They thought it pulled people out of the story. And then before it was actually finished publishing, a penny draft it was turned into a play. And then, as we noted in, in 1973, uh, Sondheim uh, saw the play that Christopher Bond wrote called Tooney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And it was this version that Sondheim used as his uh, base of the story because Bond uh, had taken a different route with the character. 
he had to, he he had given Todd a more uh, well-rounded story instead of just making him a classic <laughs> polish him off yeah. kind of bad guy. He gave he, he gave Todd the what we now know as the revenge plot, which is which involves a ruthless judge who rapes his young wife and exiles him to Australia. That extra bit of plot gave a much more rounded figure to to Sweeney Todd. And it was because of that that sometimes like, oh, you actually can do something in here. Yeah. And so well, it's and, giving a, it's giving a serial killer a rationale to do what he does. Yes, exactly. Not like and in Bond's play, uh, there were little songs that kind of went in between the scenes, like little kind of like bar ditties, kind of like an umpa pa type of mm-hmm. rowdy situation. Very like Joan Little Woody. Yes, very Joan Little Woody. Very um, <laughs> yeah, and Sondheim thought, oh, well, the addition of music would greatly increase the drama, which is very true for film and Hitchcock, like, absolutely. And so and he thought, it, thought this would make a really unique theatrical experience. So, yeah. th- so thus, uh, Sondheim said about adapting it, uh, he brought on uh, Hugh Wheeler to help him because he was finding he just wasn't able to do music, lyrics, and book. He was finding the book was just getting longer and longer as he was trying mm-hmm. to adapt it. So he brought somebody else on to write the book, which is the script. And he just said, I'm going to focus on the music and the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And he ended up doing uh, 80% music uh, for this production. Like there is, mu- there is sung music as well as underscore dialogue music as well. Very cinematic once again. And it is, uh, it is out of all the Sondheim canon, the most musical score he has with the most amount of music. But um, he was also Sondheim, you know, started loving music through movie music. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably why he wrote this this score the way he did. Yes, like it is. It is so. It is so cinematic. It's mm-hmm. epic, and it it verges in between the opera and musical theater world because of its scale. Right. Yes, exactly. I mean, like, just go watch the scene where you have the dead Pirelli, who Todd is just kind of choked unconscious, and uh, he puts Pirelli in a trunk in, in 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 his in his shop with his hand sticking out. And Tobias, uh, realizing that Pirelli has an appointment he's going to be late for, returns to the shop to kind of try and get Pirelli. And the whole time, there's this bit of musical underscoring as the fingers wiggle. And Todd is noticing that Pirelli's waking up in the trunk. It's very cinematic where it's like, where, 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 where it's like you can cut to a camera, just zooming in on that hand, just as the fingers just start moving and you see Todd just doing the crap, I gotta get this kid out of here because I gotta finish this guy off. He's not dead yet, in the words of Monty Python. Oh, fine. That must have been 
Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so very cinematic. Uh, and the biggest contribution Sondheim made was expanding uh, Sweeney Todd's mental collapse in the subsequent plan for um, Mrs. Levitt's Meat Pies. Because in uh, Christopher Bond's play, that entire sequence is half a page of dialogue. And Sondheim expanded it uh, into being two very key songs, which is Epiphany, sung by Sweeney, uh, all that is mental breakdown, and then you have the comedic duet of Little Priest, that is uh, the uh, par uh, partner, par the partner song for them concocting their meat pie plan. And this allowed for a much more careful reveal of the developing ideas and demented minds of Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. So, yeah, so that, that so that's Sondheim working away on the project. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sondheim uh, then uh, brought uh, the idea to director ha uh, Hal Prince, who at that time was his most frequent collaborator, and yeah. Prince was not interested. No. Feeling it was a simple melodrama that was very experimentally uh, not interesting. It was kind of, he kind of thought it was bland. However, Prince soon discovered a metaphor in which to set the show, which was making what Sondheim had originally envisioned as a small horror piece into a colossal portrait of the Industrial Revolution, an, an examination of the general human condition of the time as is related to men like Sweeney Todd. And, oh. Sond yeah, and Sondheim has commented saying, Hal's metaphor is that the factory turns out Sweeney Todd's. It turns out soulless, defeated, hopeless people. And that's what this play was about to him. Sweeney Todd is a product of that age. And then Sondheim continues on saying, I think it's not. Sweeney Todd is a man bent on personal revenge the way we all are in one way or another. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with the time he lived in as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Which is, God is in the details, Sondheim, come on. I know. I mean, I, but if you look at that, if you, mm -hmm. if you look at both of those comments mm -hmm. combined, they make a musical. Where the detail is and where the genius is. Yes. If someone else had directed this the way that Sondheim had originally Sondheim wanted, envisioned, it would yeah. not have been as successful. No. So a majority of the success of this musical is has to go to Hal Prince. Yes, because yeah, because you're right. And his his idea of the factory churning people out is so it's such a great image. Well, and it's something you used when you did Oh What a Lovely War, about the no. factory of war doing the same thing, churning men out to be killed. And, yeah. So Basically, even though they had different points of view with each other on, on, the, on the musical, Sondheim agreed with Prince about doing the show. And his reason was he, because he thought this was a great opportunity to do the show on a large scale, knowing that a small scale production can be done at any time. Now that Prince is on board, now you've got to cast the darn show. So when it came to casting, 
uh, Sondheim uh, thought veteran stage and screen actress Angela Lansbury uh, would add some needed comedy to the grim tale as, as the lunatic cockney shopkeeper Mrs. Lovett. But Lansbury needed convincing. Uh, she was, by this point in the late 70s, she was a star. Like she was a Hollywood name. Like it would be hiring Meryl Streep to come do your show uh, back in the day. Uh, and so she pointed, and, and, and so she, pointed, yeah, very much. Let me think about it. She had done Manchurian Candidate. She she was about to go do Murder She Wrote. Like she had been doing a whole bunch of MGM movies and stage stuff. She yeah, had, she, she, she had she done Mame. Anyone can whistle. Like she like she was a big name to get, totally. uh, for sure. And so she needed convincing because, as she pointed out, your show is not called Nellie Love it. It's called Sweeney Todd, and I'm not the second banana. She want, like, so so Santa had to do audition for her to convince her. So he wrote a couple songs, including uh, the Patter song, uh, A Little Priest. And, and he gave her the key to the character by saying, I want Mrs. Lovett to have a music hall vibe. And the minute she heard oh. that, having grown up in, 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 in the British vaudeville music halls, she got it and went, okay, I get it. And she, and she formally agreed to do the project. Say, ah. saying, saying, saying that she loved the extraordinary wit and intelligence of Sondheim's lyrics. Right, okay, so, so he gets Lansbury into the cast. He then uh, selected Canadian actor and singer Len Cario as mm -hmm. his personal choice to play uh, the tortured barber. That was Sondheim's choice. Like, he was like, I want him to yeah. do it. And, and Cario actually uh, worked with the singing coach specifically for this part to get to make sure he had the range yeah, both both speaking wise and vocally, uh, to do this role. Well, it's a difficult thing. It's very <laughs> difficult. I mean, I mean, I would love to play Sweeney. I that's a role I would die to play. <laughs> and I will play Love It. Autumn, we told you to do a cabaret of you me doing uh, a little priest. I don't know if I could sing it. That's it's so hard. We could do it. We'll have to practice. I give full props to anyone who can do this. You and I will work on it. We, okay. you and I will definitely be Mrs. Yeah. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. I love that. Do it as a Patreon gift. Oh my goodness, that'd be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll have so, to respect my baking skills or not. It's true. You don't have to be a good baker for this. No. Um, sure. But yeah, okay. So with the two leads cast, um, uh, the the one the one hurdle they had was that Prince was very absorbed with staging this mammoth production. So a lot of the character work was left to Cario and Lansbury to do. So rehearsals went well. From what I understand, there was a number of songs they cut and changed. Like this was a big show for changing and rewriting songs. Hmm. Uh, one of the major songs that was cut uh, was uh, a song called Joanna that Judge Turpin sings. Joanna, Joanna, I cannot keep you longer. The world is at your window. You want to fly away. You stir me, Joanna. So suddenly a woman. I cannot watch you one more day. God, deliver me. God, deliver me. God, deliver me. God. And it was to be the song where uh, it was going to have the first orgasm for a character on stage. Oh. George Trippin was supposed to have a orgasm or ejaculation on stage uh, as he whips himself 
for for his um, for his oh. lustful thoughts of Joanna. Right. And this was deemed by the producing team too graphic and redundant, so they cut that song. It has since been added back into several revivals. The show opened on Broadway at the Eurus Theater, now known as the Gershwin Theater, where Wicked plays, on March the first, nineteen seventy-nine. And the original cast included Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett, Lancario as Sweeney Todd, Canadian Victor Garber as mm. Anthony, Sarah Rice as Joanna, Merle Lewis um, as the Beggar Woman, uh, Ken Jennings as Tobias, Edmund Lundeck as Judge Turpin, mm. who went on to reprise the role several times, including in the 1982 film version. Mm. And then you have uh, Joaquin Ramangara as Pirelli and Eric uh, and, and Jack Eric Williams as Beetle Bamford. Neat. So nice cast. Uh, the production was nominated for nine Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Book and Score, Best Performer, both Cario and Lansbury, Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, and Best Costume Design. It won eight out of the nine. It lost for Best Lighting Design. Mm. It closed on June 29th, 1980, after running 500 and 57 performances and 19 previews. So not a huge run originally. Like, it did okay. It won Best Musical. It, it was there. I mean, it was, we, we, we forget that in, in the late 70s, early 80s, this was a very different musical that people weren't familiar with. Mm-hmm. Having a musical where you have people being killed on stage repeatedly, having their throats slit, was very um, uh, horrifying to people. Like, people were shocked by this well and i think Um, it's so interesting uh in a way this makes a much better film it does because people can choose to go i think that's uh, the uh, a producer's uh, tendency to go small with this Uh because it it is incredibly graphic yeah and not a mass appeal It's not to mass appeal. Right. Um, so I understand the, the smallness, but it also, you know, I, I, like, I like the idea of going large with it. I think it's- You have to, you have to. This is a big how show. do you sell it? That's a producer's problem is how do you sell this? Well, I, I will say this has now become one of Sondheim's most produced musicals. Yeah, so, but, but never on a large scale. That's true. It's a lot of concert versions, like tiny, yeah, yeah. because people yes. want to do it. Well, it's it. Well, it's well. Once again, it's getting you close and intimate with the violence. When you do it small, it's like you're right tight in there with the with the violence. Yeah, but I don't the know. The whole idea of it is that people were on the outside of the violence, looking in. That's kind of what London was like. Like there was this. Mm-hmm perspective where you were just on the outskirts of violence all the time right yes that's the last unless it actually affected you yeah uh but it's that idea that things that's why an immersive version of this is was so ideal Mm -hmm. let me tell you it is way of of doing this yeah musical yes we will get into that yes I'm Stand sure by. We well, I will tell you all about it when we get to experiences. Okay. Um, but the North American tour uh, started on February 23rd, 1982 in, in Delaware, and it ended 
in July 1982 in Toronto. It starred uh, June Havoc, who, if you don't know who she is, she is the sister of Gypsy Rose Lee. Oh, interesting. She is, she is the baby older... June. She is Baby June, correct. She was Mrs. Lovett, and you had Ross Petty as uh, Sweeney. You're making a face, Adam. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There's an, we'll touch before we get to all the different um, uh, Sweeney's and Mrs. Lovett's because this, this, this show has attracted a lot of big names. Well, yeah. But, but yeah. yeah, but Julie for the two were in production, you had June Havoc and Ross Petty. Uh, the original London production opened on July 2nd, 1980 in the West End's Royal Drury Lane Theatre. Uh, and it starred Dennis uh, O'Lilly as, as Sweeney and Sheila Hancock as Mrs. Lovett. Uh, and the show ran for only 157 performances. Too close. So to what? Must have been because despite mixed reviews, the production did win the Lily for Best New Musical of 1980, but it closed on November 14th, 1980. So it was a very short run originally. But it wasn't like Theodore Drury Lane is monstrous. So where Eastwick was, it's huge. Oh, okay, it's a big theater. And, and, and you know who was a frequent visitor to that theater during its initial run was director Tim Burton, who became enthralled with this musical when he saw it. Well, it's really up his alley. It is. It is, which is why he did the film. Um, which we'll get, which we're actually now out of my notes. So in 2007, the musical was adapted for film by Tim Burton. It yeah. starred Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd, Helena Bottom Carter as Mrs. Lovett, Alan Rickman as Judge Turpin, Timothy Spall as Beetle Bamford, and Sasha Baron Cohen as Pirelli. Uh, the film notably cut the choral segments, including the ballads of Sweeney Todd, and it's many reprises, because uh, they felt it was too uh, theatrical. It wasn't cinematic. It, it was a very theatrical device, which works great on the stage. But they had originally planned to do them with Christopher Lee being the first main balladeer. And they cut it because they, were, they just went, this isn't, this isn't working for the, for the film. Interesting. So they cut it, which is too bad. Yeah. I, I, the film worked. Out of all it, movie musicals, I'm going to say this it is does. one of the best adaptations. Well, they knew what to cut, and they knew the form they were making it for. Like, I love Angel Lansbury, but she was playing to the back of the house with her Mrs. Lovett. It Helen Bottom Carter, though she has this weaker singing voice, she's playing to the camera. It's a much more intimate look at the character. Although this is written kind of like an opera. He calls it a dark operetta, which is interesting. Yes. Um, yes. I don't think you need to be a good singer. I think you need to be a damn good actor to pull these roles off. Yes. Johnny Depp is not a good singer either. He actually does okay with the characters singing. Yeah. Like, I actually didn't mind his singing voice in this. Mm. But his acting for the character was really good. I, I, I think it's one of his best acting performances he's ever given. I, yeah. I do too. It was complicated. It was, but Helena Bonham Carter can do anything because she just knows how to tell a story. She's yes. so, she is so good. Mm -hmm. So good. I mean, the cast he assembled was fantastic. I remember hearing about this film. So this film was also notable for the graphic violence of the story of uh, that 
Tim Burton exploited with the amount of blood spurting and the fact that he brought back the trick chair that was cut from the stage show because in the stage show they can't have this elaborate trick chair. It's, it, in the stage show, it's a very simple in your production. They, they pull the lever on the chair and you just slid down to shoot. But in Tim Burton's version, he brought back the trick chair where it flips back and tips the and tips the the victim down to shoot head first, so they land on their head to really kill them off good. And you hear the crunch of their neck as they smack on the on the cement oh, floor. Right. You stay, Joanna, the way I've dreamed you are. Oh, look, Joanna, the The blood is not really realistic looking. Mm-hmm. So um, it looks kind of gobby and paint-like. It's very hyper-red. Like, uh, in, the fact they, in fact, they heightened that with the fact they made the rest of the film very gray yeah. and almost black and white, and then you have this bright red. Yeah, it's like a, it's a very visual effect. It's very Tim yes. Burton because there's an element of play in it, right? Yes. Like, this is real, but it's not real. Like, yes. this is the kind of blood as a child you see in your imagination. Mm-hmm. So there's yes. kind of playing on that that idea mm-hmm. that we see as kids, what we imagine, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's so epically grotesque that it almost mm. diminishes the grotesqueness of it. Well, it cancels it like, in a good way. So the other notable film version of this show is one they film with Lansbury as Lovett and George Hearn as Todd. Uh, when it was on tour and at in LA in 1982. Nice. And, and it, it's, it's a wonderful film stage version of the original production. Uh, it was aired on the entertainment channel, which was the predecessor to the A&E channel. And it was very popular. It was released on home video and the tape production was nominated for five primetime Emmy awards in 1985, including uh, including uh, outstanding individual performance for for, uh, for for a variety or music program, and George Hearn won that performance uh, award. So there you go. Other notable Sweeney Todd's include George Hearn, Shawshank Redemptions, and the original Evita Perón, Bob Gunton. Mm-hmm. You have original uh, Tenardier from Les Miserables, Aline Armstrong. You have original Marius Michael Ball. You have a TV and stage actor, Michael Severus, and TV and film star, Kelsey Grammer. I've all tackled this role. So notable Mrs. Lovitz include original Miss Hannigan, Dorothy Loudon, Triple Fret, uh, film, TV, and stage star, Christine Baranski. You have film stars, Emma Thompson and Imelda Staunton. Broadway diva, Patti Lapone, Original Phantom of the Opera, Carlotta Judy Kay. And original London Donna in Mamma Mia and Perone's original mistress in Evita, uh, Siobhan McCarthy. I've all tackled this. And Julia McKenzie. And Julia McKenzie, yes. Yeah. From, from, from Follies. Yeah. It's great. But yeah. Yeah, a lot of big names have all come through. And, and I mean, there's been a lot of no- notable judges, including Philip Quast, our, my favorite, Javert. Mm. Like there's you know, Patrick Harris that's played Tobias. Um, there's been a whole bunch of big names that have all come through and done this show. It's wonderful. Love it. Yeah. All right. So, Autumn, how did you first come to this show? I don't even know. 
I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've known it forever. I just, I don't know. I, do, I cannot pinpoint the exact moment where I was like, oh yeah, I know that. It's not a show I've known very well. Interesting. I think, I know, I know. Even living in London, it was not something I knew very well. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm, I, I mean, I've read about the Penny Dreadfuls. I've read about, mm-hmm. of course, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Um, but it's more recent for me, like since yeah. the movie came out. Yeah. And I saw a production at Sheridan a couple yes. years, oh, oh, maybe 10 years ago now. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I came to it from the 2007 film. That was my yeah. first experience when I saw the movie trailer on tribute.ca when I was scrolling through upcoming releases and new trailers and that came up. And the trailer uh, didn't include any of the film music. The only part of the musical that was shown in the trailer was Epiphany. Mm. And, and, it, and, it, and it's not even the singing part. It's the part where Todd comes in and goes, the, all right. Who, sir? You, sir. Welcome to the grave. All right. You, sir? No one's in the chair. Come on. Come on. Sweeney's waiting. I want you, bleeders. You, sir. To, sir. Welcome to the grave. I will have vengeance. I will have salvation. I can guarantee the closest shave you will ever know. That whole sequence. Right. And that hooked me. I was like, oh, what is this? So I, I went on YouTube to start Googling Sweeney Todd. And that's how I came across the 1982 stage version, which I fell in love with right away. And I was so shocked when I remember watching it for the first time. And you get the prologue in the open and, and, the, and the No Place Like London. And then you cut to Mrs. Lovett's shop. And out, and out of the door comes Angela Lansbury. Who at that point I'd only known her as Mrs. Potts, the teapot in Beauty and the Beast. Barely even friends, then somebody bends unexpectedly. Just a little change. Small to say the least, both a little scared. Another one prepared, beauty and the beast. I had no idea that she was also Mrs. Lovett. So I remember watching, and my job basically dropped it before. I was like, she's playing this villainous character. You know, watch Murder, She Wrote. Not till later on. It's not till I got into my mid-teens when I started doing my 80s binge, where I watched Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote. Oh my God. Matt, uh, uh, Matlock, Columbo, <laughs> all, all in the family, Hogan's Heroes, all those retro shows that, that I watched. Hilarious. I love but, you. Yeah, right? <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know who, that she had done this at first until I watched this and went, oh my goodness, it's her. That, that's her. That's her. Um, yeah, so uh, because the film was rated R because of the graphic violence of the Tim Burton film, I was not able to see it in theaters and my parents refused to take me because they had no desire to see the show. This is what, like, this is a show that like they have said that if I direct a production, I'll, I'll have to drag them to come and see it. How they old no- were you in 2000? Uh, do I want to know? 
2007, I would have been grade seven, grade eight. So I would have been like 12, 13, and around there. I was young. Like, I was young when that came out. But I got the DVD, the two-disc special edition DVD, as a gift from my parents. And I watched that on repeat. Like, I was enthralled with this thing. Like, I still will put it on as I'm cooking in the kitchen sometimes, just as background. Because I know the movie so well, I don't have to watch it to know exactly what's happening. What's happening, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then... Uh, since and then since then I've watched many of the concert versions, including the Emma Thompson version, the Patti Lapone version. So good, so good. All of them are great. And then I got to finally see a live production of it when I did my trip to London with our friend Lynn. Shout out to you, Lynn. Yes, uh, her and I went on the Curiosity. I know we miss you. Uh, so, we, so her and I went over to London on the Curious Voyage with Talk Is Free, which was an immersive, devised production of Sweeney Todd where it started in Barrie, where you uh, did a whole bunch of immersive uh, things uh, that, 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 would, that fit along the lines of Sweeney Todd that asked you questions about, could you kill someone for vengeance, that type of thing, really mm-hmm. pushing you uh, like into, into this really uh, dark place. And then the next day they fly you over to London uh, and then the next, and the day after that, you do a day where in the morning they're touring around, like Covent Garden, kind of a nice end of London in the parks, and you're getting to do immersive things once again on a mystery hunt for this guy named Anthony, that that that, that you're trying to find. And then sure enough, you get brought over to the more darker, seedier end of London, on a barge, on an actual old coal barge. Uh, and then you end up in this 1930s old coal factory that had a hole in the floor that where the Thames was bubbling through and the walls were coated in coal dust and it, it was a perfect immersive environment. Like it, was, it was me and about 20 other people on this, t- on this tour production. About half of them came from London and then the other half were with, well, actually, sorry, three quarters of my company was from London uh, doing the one day version. And then there was about eight of us who did the full three day immersive experience. And sure enough, you get brought into the basement of this decrepit old building and all the actors are lined up in tableau. And then the minute you sit down, you get the, the whistle, the whistle sound and the music starts. And then you move through this building repeatedly to different areas to be in the bakehouse to being up in the up in this they actually had a kitchen in the building that had running water so they could turn the water on and mrs lovett could cook in the kitchen mm. uh you then had like a room that served as like the the barber shop in like outside london like where the competition was they it was all immersive did mitchell coachman direct that i believe so yeah. i think i think it was him I, I think it was him who directed it there were there were a few directors there was a director who covered the device side of things on the very end, and there was a director who covered the uh, Sweeney end in London. And then there was another company that did the device stuff in London as well. Oh, interesting. It, it was fantastic. It was wonderful. Mm. All right, Autumn, what is your first song of your top three songs? This was hard. This was very hard. There was a number of songs that I really wanted to include. That I was like, no, God, did you top three? What are my most? I don't have a bottom three. Uh, 
I have some that's not a bottom three, but there are songs that I will skip and we'll get into that. I'm just, I'm letting you know, I don't have a bottom three. No, a bottom three. Fair enough. All right. Um, what is your number one though? The Ballad of Sweeney Todd. That is my number two. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. His skin was pale and his eye was odd. He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again. He trod a path that few have trod. Did Sweeney Todd? The demon harbor of Beacon Street. He kept a shop in London town. A fancy client and good renown. And what if none of their souls were saved? They went to their maker impeccably shaved. My Sweeney, my Sweeney Todd. A demon robber of Fleet Street. I just think it has that kind of industrial sound. It's dirty, it's gritty, it's da 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 It has that churning. Yes. It has the very Victorian feel to it. It's melodramatic, yet not. Yes. And it keeps, it's that theme that keeps coming back, keeps it's a haunting, right? Yes. And the lyrics are amazing. They are. They are. They absolutely are. Like, like I have in my <coughs> notes here that this is one of the most iconic openings of a musical that we've yeah. ever come across. Like Attend from the minute the tale. Right? Okay, so we'll get into that. Yeah. But like even before that, you have the organ playing as the audience comes in. everybody every time it doesn't yeah. matter who you are that factory whistle is terrifying and then right away the audience is jarred and disoriented and then you have all these actors come in and they break the fourth wall so now they're talking directly to you right away yeah. this, this, this isn't a show where the audience can just sit back and watch they are going to be drawn into the story right away and you're right it's haunting it's it's a haunting and the dearest earray uh shows up right in the first line mm-hmm. attend the tale of sweeney todd and this dies eerie is one that we know throughout musicals in film scores mm-hmm. like it's used in the mordor theme in lord of the rings 
used in totally. opera. It is the iconic death scene that you totally. have in music. Well, it's, um, and it's, it's ever present here. It's all um, over. But just that idea that he starts with attend the tale. Like it's something like, it's an invitation, but it's, it's old, like it's very Victorian. Like you're it's very Victorian and it moves the audience right away to a different time period. Yes. But it's also, I'm going to tell you a story. Yes. And it's, it's, one, it's one of those great opening lines. Um, I directed a play called The Good Thief. Right. And the first line with, let's begin with an incident. And I'm like, oh, that's such, it, it, yes. Well, it's, it hooks the audience. It hooks the audience right like, away. It's very similar to the opening of Henry V, where the chorus comes out on stage and talks directly to the audience with that, oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heavens. Yeah. Like it's that um, first big opening, that opening that just gets you right away. And you're right, the lyrics are so great because they're hard sounding lyrics, like inconspicuous, neatness, trod, quick. Like, like they're not lyrical words. And because they of that, have, it comes across as conversational. They have, they also have an efficiency to them. Yes. Which was what the industrial revolution was about. A tender yes. detail of Sweeney taught. Like there's a, like a pace, yes. right? Yes, In exactly. That pace, there's an, like, you can hear it's almost like cogs turning on a machine. Right? It has yeah. that mechanical sound to it, yes. which is so interesting. And you can yes. just, you, you can hear, you can hear London in it. You can hear the lamplighters, mm -hmm. you can hear, you know, the calls of news, newsboys. You mm -hmm. can hear the poverty in it. It just has a cacophony. Um, yeah. Uh, like layers, it has layers. Yes. Uh, in it, which I find so good. Mm -hmm. and huge and epic well especially it's huge and epic when you get the swing your razor high sweet yeah like it's there's just also big a, when that sound hits well there's also huge. like this this um this larger than life quality to it mm -hmm. it's kind of like this impressionistic view like a yes. turner painting of london Yes. Uh, or Whistler, right? It yes. has like this, this smog idea. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. is this real? Is it not real? We're tantalizing you. Yeah. It's like this ghost story. And I yes. love that. I love that conceit. It's like, ooh, we're in an Agatha Christie novel musical. Right? You and know? what's neat, back, piggybacking off that, what's neat is this song sets up the monster in Sweeney Todd. But then the very next scene, we get the human of Sweeney Todd, where we get to hear his sympathetic backstory. So then it's like, oh, who is this guy? And then we have to huh. wait as an audience until the end of Act One, where we see this monster come to form. Mm -hmm. Like, this is such a great opening song. It's just so, <clears throat> it's there. It's beautiful. It's one that I will hum. I think it's actually Sondheim's most hummable tune in the camp, like one of his most hummable songs. Uh-huh. Like I, I, I could be working away in the kitchen and just do the ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum, da 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 da. 
But my number one, though, is a different song. It is okay, the what end is of that? Act One. It is A Little Priest. What is that? It's Priest. Have a little priest. Is it really good? Sir, it's too good, at least. Then again, they don't commit sins of the flesh. So it's pretty fresh. Awful lot of fat. Only where it's at. Haven't you got poet or something like that? Now you see the trouble with poet is how do you know it's deceased? Try the priest. Mmm, heavenly. Not as hearty as bishop, perhaps, but then not as bland as curate, either. Good for business, too. Always leaves you wanting more. Trouble is, we only get it on Sundays. Which is by far my favorite song of the whole show. Yeah. It's something I waltz to and sing as I'm cooking in the kitchen. It was not on my list. <clears throat> I know. I guess, it, I guess it's too jaunty for you. I get the jaunty tune. Okay. It is <laughs> jaunty. Look, it, there's not a bad song in this show. I just find other songs more interesting. Yes. It's, it's a masterpiece, though. It's a masterpiece yeah. character song for Love It. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it, the lyrics are ingenious. Yes, they and are. And it's like taking the piss out of the upper classes. It, it yes. does. It does exactly what Mercutio's Queen Mab speech does. Yes, it does. It absolutely it's does. Not in very similar, and I wonder if he used that as reference. Well, what? Well, what do you? He could have used it as reference, but what was what inspired uh, song time for this song was one line uh, in that half page of dialogue in the sequence of, of of the Bond play, which was they laugh helplessly. They laugh and, helplessly. Yeah, that was the stage direction. He was like, well, what are they laughing about? And he figured it out. He was like, oh, they're laughing at their plan. And so the minute he had that idea, he wrote the song. And it's the perfect point in the show where you need a song like that because you've had two very tense moments with the attempted murder of the judge with the pretty women. And then you have Epiphany that follows right after. So the audience is like pent up. Like they are feeling tense. And then you have this song where you can't help but laugh. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. But, but it's at the also, same time, it's also looking at class again. And oh, absolutely. It's looking what, at class. Like what person in the lower classes does not, like, it's interesting. What would you do? What, would you kill someone? Like these questions are very relevant, especially in, mm-hmm. in a time like Victorian London. Mm-hmm. Like what, what is your, how, how far does your morality go? absolutely and you know she was cooking cats and things and like well no miss lovell was cooking cats her neighbor mrs mooney 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 miss mooney is cooking the cats but miss lovett apparently can't get them because they're too quick (laughs) that's solving cat problems right like yeah you know in 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 uh the uh uh earlier times they used cats and cat pianos so there you go. There you go. But yeah, no, like this is the great release song, but then you're laughing at the dad jokes and the puns, but then you have to sit back and go, wait a minute. I'm laughing about murder and cannibalism here. Like there, I, 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 people. Well, why is that scary to people? That is the bigger question. Well, well cause, well, cause first of all, murder is 
illegal and it's bad <laughs> and cannibalism is taboo. So these two topics are very fringe they're topics. Very fringe, that, but I think yeah. they're scary and taboo because ultimately the human condition will do anything to survive. Well, that's, well, I have that in my notes here. So that's exactly what it is. Sondheim has given a, a way of allowing us to release that pent up natural human thing. Because we're naturally, we are a killing, murderous. We're mammals. Yeah. Well, we're, we're a special type of mammal that murders and kills each other. Not many mammals do that. We do. But we, as a society, have repressed those urges. And yet we still all have that in us. So the fact we're watching this take place and we're able to kind of joke along with them, it's like, oh, I actually can release a little bit of that evil tension I got inside me, which is great. Uh, so Sondheim, uh, when he was writing this, he had a few notes uh, that he talked about, which was one that the rhyming schemes was difficult for him because not many professions or social statuses are one syllable, like priest. There's a lot of two-syllable ones, but he found that was very clunky for, for, for rhyming. Well, now, what have I got here? Uh, I've got, uh, got uh, Tinker. Something Pinker. Taylor. Something Paler. Potter. Something Hotter. Butler. Something Sattler. Locksmith. So, so he actually ended up writing 26 pages of notes with over 100 professions and titles. And he tried to fit as many as he could into the song. So a lot of stuff in there. And even though the song was a straightforward song, like it, structurally, it's not complex. No. But no. underneath that, there's a lot of complexity going on where you have the Mrs. Lovett motif from, from Worst Pies with the... Um, Wait, watch your rush, watch your hurry. Wait, watch your rush, watch your hurry. You gave me such a fright. I thought you was a ghost. Half a minute, won't you sit? Sit you down, sit. All I meant is that I haven't seen a customer for weeks. Did you come here for a pie, sir? That whole bit that starts and that becomes the melody for uh, a little priest. What is that? It's Fop. Finest in the shop. Oh, we have some shepherds, pie peppered with actual shepherd on top. And I just begun. Is the politician so oily? It's served with a dually at one. Put it on a bun. Well, you never know if it's going to run. So you get that evolution of her character motif in the show, which also shows that she is the villain of the story. Uh, she, okay, she full on accelerates a whole bunch of people's murders and then serves people up in meat pies. Like, that's pretty damn dark. Go kill a cat. You don't go kill people for a meat pie. Yes, I get it. She's, she's fighting her class. I know. I get it. I don't think she's a villain. I'm sorry. I don't. She's a villain. I think she's an opportunist. I think that's yeah. a villain. Okay. villain. But yes, musically, though, we do get it's the evolution of Mrs. Levin in this song, where you get her worst pies melody that becomes the the uh, more expanded melody of Little Priest. And then you also have the dissonant chords being played as an underscore that increase with the song. And as that happens, 
you get the idea of their continual descent into madness, these two. So it, it's building and building with this bum, 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 bum. And dissonance means that they're notes that clash. I don't know if they go mad. I think, I think madness is, is a very convenient excuse. I, I, I think so. I, well, I think, I think Todd snapped. The minute, the minute an epiphany happens, he snaps. That's his breakdown mentally. And Mrs. Lovett, she's just unlocking a darker aspect of herself. Um, the murderous <laughs> side of her that's always been there. I think that's too convenient. I, I don't know. Mad is too convenient. They're not mad. They would not be able to. They would not be able to carry out the things they do if they were completely mad. It's more interesting if they are sane. <laughs> they're in their right minds. They know what. Okay, they're fine. Doing. Okay, fine. So instead of calling it sentence madness, call it their descent into their evil deeds. With into those their chaos. Cords. Their chaos, yes. their, their crime spree. Which fits once again, which fits once again with that dissonant chords that you hear mm. in the music as it builds to the end of the song. And the waltz, as the song goes, it picks up speed as well. So mm -hmm. it's this whirlwind of, of treachery that's just getting faster and faster and faster. Have charity towards the world, my pet. Yes, yes, I know, my love. We'll take the customers that we can get. High born and love, my love. We'll not discriminate great from small. No, we'll serve anyone, meaning anyone, and to anyone at all. And the audience is sitting on the edge of their seat by the end. They're leaning continually forward throughout the song until at the end you get this big ba -ba, and then it's like, oh, intermission. But it's set everything up now for act two. Everything is done for the audience. Yeah. But now all the show has to do is knock those pins down. But yes, A Little Priest, my number one. You're not on your list. My number two was The Ballad of Sweeney Todd. Nice. Autumn, what is your number two? My number two is Pretty Women. Stay within you. Stay forever. Pretty women. Pretty women. Blowing out their candles or combing out their hair. Even when they lead, they still are there. It almost made my list, but this, the third song was something was uh, was something else for me. But Pretty Women I, is this great song. I, I love that they're. It's just so intricate. Mm -hmm. And you know they're both singing about pretty women, and well, they're singing about different di women differently. Like Todd's version of singing about women is very wholesome and sweet, and Turpin's is very lustful and lecherous. Like, like he's singing about them naked or in the shadows, and tossing about them gardening. Like there are two, like there are two very different ways of singing about women. 
it's it's, it's, it's objectifying them either way like this is a very objectified it is, it is. but in that it's it's so interesting to think of them moving around each other's mindsets and it's yes. it's kind of like a it's a provocation it's so right it's almost a love duet for the for the for, for the judge and for um sweeney sweeney oh totally and it's like it's a bromance song where these two guys are bonding over their love of women but turban doesn't realize that the guy he's bonding with is the guy who he sent to australia and plans to murder him but there's there's it's there, it's more um conniving like Todd yes. is the inner mach machinations of the song fascinate me and it's beautiful beautiful yes it's very hitchcocky in this song it's very Hitchcockian, where the audience is expecting the murder to happen, and the whole time they're just sitting on their seat, going, "We've just seen a murder, Pirelli. When's like, uh, like, when's he going to slit this guy's throat?" It's, it's I know it's, that's what makes it really great. It's it's fantastic. I love it. It's 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 just like what Hitchcock said, where where he goes, "There are two ways of telling a story. One is the audience is with uh, the characters the whole time, and it's." discovering things as they discover it uh or it's the audience is ahead of the, of the characters and they know something so well so, and that's, so that's it we're we're solidly with sweeney and we're like well we're we're, we're, we're sweeney but we're ahead of sweeney because we we've already thought we've already predicting what's going to happen we've so already predicted like, him dead by the end of the scene correct and it's the same thing that when Hitchcock goes like there's a bomb under a table and there's two ways of going about it. One is, audience doesn't know the bomb's there, and you blow up the room with the people who are sitting around the table, and it shocks them for two seconds. Yeah. The other way that Hitchcock liked doing, and that's what this scene does, which is you show the audience that there is a bomb under the table, and and you, and you say there's a two-minute timer on the bomb. So now the audience is sitting and waiting for that two-minute timer to go off, which builds tension and anxiety. And it's the same thing here. We've seen Todd commit murder. We know there's a dead body in the trunk on stage, and now he's got the guy who he really wants to kill yeah. sitting right here in his chair, right. throat exposed, unawares. So good. And, and talking to it, and the fact in the music, there's this pulse that's beating like, uh, like almost if you put your fingers to your throat to feel your pulse going. That bum, 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 bum. And who may it be said is your intended son? My ward. I'm pretty as you want to be. Pretty as a lover. Hmm? What was that? <laughs> pretty women. Fascinating. Sipping coffee. Dancing. Pretty women are a wonder. Pretty women. Um, and as and, 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 and as we get closer to the moment where he's where Todd's actually about to commit the crime, the pulse quickens. Pretty women, 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 pretty women
everything said we you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's, even, it's beautifully yeah. scored. Like, yes. it's brilliant in that detail. Um, and it's funny. It's funny, too, because the first time, because we see Todd lather him up. Yeah. And, 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 and you get this build of music where you think, oh, my God, he's going to sit there, and then it's shade. And it's like, it's a laugh, and he always lets it's a laugh from the audience when you watch that moment happen. Because the audience is like, <gasps> okay. okay. Thank God. But then it's like, deal with that right now. But then, but then their tension goes right back up again because they go, okay, well, I didn't kill him that time. When's he going to do it? Yeah, exactly. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's such a great it's song. The, it's the anticipation, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and the beauty the lyricism of this mm-hmm. music uh, that just kind of, it, it is a great play of opposites, right? Yes. It's almost like soothing the anxiety, but building it at the same time. And it's creating this, like, this, this thing that's going to explode. I think it's mir- miraculous. I love yes, it. I absolutely agree. I I absolutely agree. I'm just flipping through my Sondheim book here to make sure you haven't missed any fun notes. Well, the other thing is, the other thing is, you know, he's talking about pretty women and you can see, you can can just imagine the pain that Todd is sitting on. Yes. And the care that he takes in that first stroke of the razor. Yes. And the, the waiting. Mm-hmm. Which is there is a nothing worse than waiting, and yet, Wait, which yeah, he does. He has to. He does, and that ties back to the other song that's come before this, which is "Wait." And Mrs. Lovett sings that. When you first hear, it, you're like, "Why are we hearing a song called Wait?" That's about flowers and decorating a room. But then you get to this song. Well, exactly, but it, it doesn't pay off for the audience until you see the song. You go, ah. Got it. I don't even think it's about that. I have a more interesting analysis of that song. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We're going to get to that song then. But yeah, oh my goodness. Oh, it's so good because Todd takes Mrs. Lyric's, uh, or Mrs. Lyric's advice of wait, don't rush the moment too literally, and he waits too long. Like uh, She just meant savor the death. Don't like labor it but he labors it and it results in him missing his opportunity it's such a good song like it, it totally misdirects the audience it's so good uh, my number three though is the joanna quartet and if i never hear your voice my turtle dove my dear i still have reason to rejoice the way ahead is clear, Joanna. Oh, and in that darkness when I'm blind with what I can't forget, it's always morning in my mind, my little lamb, my pet, Joanna. The song in Act Two, where you have so many things going on, um, it is—it's a piece where you have Sweeney Todd killing off customers. You have Anthony searching for Joanna. You have the better woman desperately pleading to, for people to 
Uh, like look, right. you have to see, you have to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, then you have the missing fourth element, which is Joanna herself as the, as the invisible fourth person of this quartet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like this song, like I don't like the first version in act one that Anthony sings. I find that boring as ever, which we'll get into um, later on. Yeah. Um, but this song, it's complex. Like the melt, yeah. like, like you talk about the beginning of the show where you have that cobblestone rhythm. Mm -hmm. It shows up in this song. It's almost jaunty with the way that it's that bump, 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 bump. It's a ticking clock of death for all these customers. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I actually can like tap my foot and kind of bounce my head as Todd sings about. Also, like the rays were going back and forth on the. Yes, on on, on the lathe. Yes, uh -huh. that. Yeah, and then you have Todd's singing jauntily where he goes the, and are you beautiful and pale with yellow hair like her? It's a, it's a very rhythmic. Dun 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 dun. It but at the same like time, machine. It is like a machine. It's very it's very mechanical. And then the fact that then throughout the song you have these peppered great <laughs> murders that Ugh. that are just accents to to the story and. I love the scene in the movie. Tim Burton did a great adaptation of the scene for the film, getting that whole rhythm of the chair and the fall and the head hitting on the ground and the slitting of the throat. Like it is a masterpiece of filmmaking in that scene. It it's is. Beautiful. I agree. It is beautiful and it's horrifying. Like audiences are terrified. The lyrics of Sweeney are something that uh, Sondheim talks about how he tried to capture the idea of an ex-prisoner being released from prison, having to come back to his family, even though his family has moved on in age and has grown up and he's now trying to relive that part of his life that he lost. Like, is that thing of, Todd's stuck in the past with, with Joanna, where he's talking about her as a child, but yet she's a grown woman now. Yeah. Like, there's that thing of that block that Sweeney's having that he's trying to work through throughout the song. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's, I guess, yeah, I agree. It's phenomenal. It's such a complex, beautiful song. I love it. All right, Adam, what is your number three? Is it Wait? I have two. <laughs> I have two. Okay. I couldn't All right. Decide. All right. Um, so Wait is number... is the is Wait. Hush, love, hush. Think it through. Once it bubbles, then what's to do? Watch it close. Let it brew away. I've been thinking flowers, maybe daisies, to brighten up the room. Don't you think some flowers, pretty daisies, might relieve the gloom? A song that they cut from the movie until Tim Burton insisted they add it back into the movie. Yeah. Um, I like it because mm -hmm. I think it shows some moral complexity for Love It. Yes, it's her, it, it's her, what, it's her humane moment of the story. It's it, her going, if, it's her really thinking, if we go down this path, we can never mm -hmm. escape. Yes. So wait because she's not ready yet. 
It's just, it's just not the full idea yet of, of, of how, how they're going to do it. No, it's not even that. She's, she's not ready to take that leap. leap. She knows she wants him. Mm-hmm. She knows to go on the journey with him, there's going mm-hmm. to have to be blood spilled. She just has yeah. to figure out how she's going to fit into that mm-hmm. and what she is willing to sacrifice. That's why she sings Wait. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that because it de-vilifies her. It does. It's a very sweet moment for her. It's a very motherly I, moment. It's sweet, but it's also desperate. Mm-hmm. There's an, uh, a huge air of desperation to it. Yes. Like, we can get out of this. Like, if we're mm-hmm. found, like if Sweeney's found out a lot, you know, the, the consequences are very big. Yeah, she goes to prison if they find that, that he's there. Mm-hmm. She's, mm-hmm. Harboring, she's harboring a fugitive. Well, in the, in the original uh, nonfiction story that I was reading about, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was said that she goes to prison and after basically... Yes, she poisons herself. And she kills right? herself. Yes. Yeah. Which is still very tragic. Yeah. It's very, it's very much Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yes. they're very much like that. They are. They're foils they are, to each other. They are each other's foils. And they, although he does not love her. No. Well, no. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He, he's using her for his advantage. Yes, yes, yes. Lady Macbeth and Macbeth, they do love each other. There is love in that 100%. marriage. Yeah. At the beginning, at least. That it's a falls apart. Marriage. They it just is. let their ambitions get ahead of them. Opportunistic ways mm-hmm. be their downfall. Correct. Tragic. Very complicated. It uh, is. So there's weight. But I yes. also really am intrigued by Kiss Me. If he should marry me Monday, what shall I do all night? We fly tonight. It's Friday, virtually Sunday. What can we do in time? We so fly tonight. Behind the curtain, quit tonight. I think I heard a click. It was the gate, it's the gate. It's not a gate, it's not a gate. It's not a gate, it's not a gate. Kiss me. Kiss me. The plan is made, so kiss me. I feel afraid. Be not afraid tonight, must be. A song that's grown on me, actually. And I'll tell you why. It is Joanna's Joanna's um, patterning in this reminds me of a bird flapping uncontrollably. Yes. And it's so it has such a visceral effect uh, audio effect on me when I listen to it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. Like, and for that, and that is the only reason. That is the only yep. reason. But there's, no. there's this common, and there's this like, <clears throat> and it reminds me of a million pigeons in, in mm-hmm. Vulgar Square. Yes. Like, there's this, there's this, oh my God, is he coming? Is he coming? I know he's out, but, it's, but and it's a patter song in a way. Yes. Um, but it, it's, it, it's bigger than that. There is... Mm-hmm. It's well, like a bird flapping um, 
Well, well, she's a caged bird as a character. That's why she yes. has green finch and linnet bird. And it fits because she's sensing, it's, it's this danger that she's worried about with the judge ever pressing because he's wanting to marry her. She knows that she's got this very short window to get out. Absolutely. And she's, and she's panicked. Like, I, 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 and Anthony, God bless him, is trying to calm her down. But it's like, but she just can't. Like, there's just this no. anxiety that she's having. She's basically having an anxiety attack on stage. Like, what are the yes. lyrics to this? And to that's that what it, and that's what it feels like. Like, she says, well, he's out, but I, and I know he's out, but I heard a noise, and I... It's a gate, it's a gate, it's at the gate. You don't have a gate. <laughs> yeah, like, there's this, it's, it's trauma. Yeah, there's he trauma there. He penned trauma brilliantly. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone pen trauma like he did in this song. Yeah, no, uh, every, like, there's, uh, It's, it's brilliant. It's, yeah. This whole score is brilliant because he adhered to his statement, God is in the details. And yes. I think this is the, the score that has the most musical care out of his whole yes. score. Absolutely. I'm just looking at all the lyrics here. Like, oh, this, like, there's so much going on here. Like, uh, I, 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 he picks up right away into the scene. Like, you have the, the third ballad of Sweeney Todd because that's taken place because he's, because he's just killed um, Pirelli. And so now, and, and so the audience doesn't even have a moment to relax because no. Kill Pirelli, and then it's right into he needs to marry me Monday. What should I do? I'd rather die. I have a plan. I, I'll swallow poison on Sunday. That's what I'll do. I'll get some lies. So she's already thinking about suicide. Like that's the level of anxiousness she is at, and she's she would rather die than marry him. And the fact that she's going to take poison is also a nice callback to her mother, who after being victimized by the judge also took poison as well but you're she's so anxious you have the oh dear was that a noise i i think i heard a noise it couldn't be he's in court he's in court today but still but still that was a noise wasn't that a noise you must have heard that like it's just that yeah you're right she's a flapping bird flying I, I, it's almost like you know when an animal like, like you're like I hate to say it, but when when somebody's about to kill a, like a, a chicken or or a bird where they're about to snap the neck, and the and the bird is trapped in the arm and it's just flapping away. That's the sound. That's exactly it's it's that thing where, where where the bird knows that its neck's about to be snapped, and Joanna knows that her neck's about to be snapped by the judge. And she's caged. She's caged. She's a caged bird that's about to be plucked out and and killed. It's great. I love it. Good choice. Thank you. Good choice. Then, so for the three songs that either we would skip or cut, I don't have anything so songs I would cut. But what I do have is I have a segment that I often skip when I'm listening to it. Okay. And that is the Greenfinch and Linnetbird. Greenfinch and Linnetbird, Nightingale, Blackbird, how is it you sing? How can you jubilate sitting in cages, never taking wings? Look at me, look at me, miss, oh, look at me, please. Oh, favor me, favor me with your glance. Ah, miss, what do you, what do you see? 
off there in those trees. Oh, won't you give, won't you give me a chance? And Joanna sequence. I feel you, Joanna. I feel you. I was half convinced I'd waken, satisfied enough to dream you. Happily, I was mistaken, Joanna. That takes place right after My Friends and before Pirelli's Miracle Elixir. It's this little block of songs where Anthony Fruits meets Joanna. And yes, it's important to set up because it sets up the B plot of the story about Joanna and Anthony. But for me, I just go, I'm, I'm so invested in the Sweeney story. But it's because we had the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. We've heard about his story in, in, in No Place Like London. We then got yeah, to meet Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, it's that just needs to... Well, and that's why when you watch the Tim Burton film, he very smartly reduced their songs to the bare minimum. Like, I, I even think Green Finch and Lynette Bird could come down a little bit. It could be more like a, I don't, I think that's a little too operatic. Obvious. Yeah. Well, it's also just a little too obvious. Like, it is. The rest of it is not obvious. This is very like, did you get and it? The, <laughs> the other bird. one is not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around you. Nothing's gonna harm you, no, sir, not while I'm around you. Demons are prowling everywhere nowadays. I'll send them howling, I don't care. I got way. Of course you do. What a sweet, affectionate child it is. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it's a little obvious. That song almost feels like Sondheim trying to write a single, kind of like with Bart writing As Long As He Needs Me, which became the single of the show. Yeah. Not Where I'm Around is very much a song that could be plucked out by anybody and put in any concert or sung as a solo. Like Angel like, Lansbury after 9-11 sung Not While I'm Around at, at like the memorial. Yeah. Like Which it, is creepy when you think about what they're actually talking about in the show. Uh, but it's a it still has beautiful lyrics. It's it's a gorgeous song. Yes. And I guess it sh again comes back to showing a little bit of Lovett's humanity, which we mm -hmm. need. Yes. Um But I don't know if she's actually is showing any humanity because Tobias sings the first verse, then he sees the Pirelli's purse, yeah. and Mrs. Lovett then kind of, <clears throat> almost like almost like a spider, just <clears throat> basically holds on to him and then locks him in the bakehouse to be killed. Like I don't know if I don't know if that verse actually has any um, love in it. I think it's more her lulling him into a false sense of calm. Before, before she's about to go. No, I think off. there's something maternal about her. I think there is. I think mm -hmm. she locks him in the basement because it's a knee-jerk reaction. She's terrified. She's right. terrified of getting caught out, mm -hmm. which goes back to wait. It's kind of like the, it's the right. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah. The right? partner songs. Yeah. It, the consequences are coming out. Yes. Right. Um, I think. 
making her more complex is more interesting for her. It is. It absolutely is. She's a very uh, complex character. This this song, I kind of wish that he had found a really old musical song that was mm-hmm. similar. Right. And used, used that. Because Tobias yeah. to me isn't clever. No. He's, he's, he's a very, he's, he's, he's not a deep character. He's a boy. He's supposed yeah. to be, he's supposed to be a young boy. But yeah, he's usually played by like a guy in his 20s. I know. Which, which is, is like, ridiculous. yeah. Which like, is like really wide. Like he should have age. Yes. Exactly. That's exactly what it should be like. Like hire a garage actor to do it. But I but just I'm, find it, I don't know. I just find it a bit, I don't think you need it. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's, and that's the same thing with that whole sequence. Like, yes, yes, it's a nice sequence of Joanna and Amis and Greenfinch, but it's not one I come back to no. in, 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 in the music. Like, it's one of the ones where I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll listen to it this time if I'm really into it, or it's like, ah, no, skip. I just I'll find it too else. nice. I'm like, yes. Oh, this isn't a nice musical. Why don't it just be dirty? Yes, they're very sweet characters, but I'm like, no, we need... We, we need to get back to the main plot of murdering people and baking them into pies. For me, it's akin to Who Will Buy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, about that this song. Is, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. It's too nice. Yeah. Too yeah, nice. This it, yeah, this isn't a nice musical. No. 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 Yeah. They are pretty. Okay. They're pretty. They are, they're very pretty. They're very pretty songs. But All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think this has moved up into into, into the into, into the number one song time musical spot. Sorry, company, you got bumped. <laughs> I'm not bumping so, mine. Not bumping mine. Oh, Merrily can see is your number one. Yes, it will. <laughs> I just find it really tragic. Whereas this is a, a real tragedy, technically, because mm-hmm. people die. Yeah. The, oh, this one's a little bit more overt. The tragedy of Merrily is a little bit more subtext-based. You don't. The yeah. audience has to think about the sadness. This is like, yeah, this is pretty in your face about it. It challenges the audience to just sit and watch murder questions. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I sold out. What is selling out? Yeah, what is, you know, mm-hmm. it's the questions we ask ourselves all the time, rather than big universal questions like. Do I have the capacity for murder? It's very true. And very I, true. Don't, I think the answer in each of us will not be known until something happens. True. Very true. All right, Autumn. Now we get to the question. Does this musical still have a place today in our, in our musical theater culture or should it be revived? Yeah. My answer is yes. Of course. It's, a, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. it's, it, and it... It really just makes us ask those big questions, like mm-hmm. what, and I like that. I like the fact that we get to question humanity in a big way. Yeah. And if done properly, we should empathize with all of these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, which will really screw us up leaving the theater. Of course. Love it. No, I, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like this is, I think 
one of the greatest musicals we have in the musical theater canon. Yeah. Like it is unbeatable because it's a mix of complexity and beauty. And it's served as, a, as an inspiration for many modern musicals. People are trying to copy this. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda has full on admitted that he tried to copy the Ballad of Sweeney Todd for his opening in Hamilton. Which I think he actually did rather successfully. They're very similar to each other. He, co- he very much used that concept really well. Even though I personally am like, mm-hmm. I know. Even though I'm personally like, I'd rather just listen to the Ballad of Sweeney Todd versus the opening of Hamilton. But that's besides the point. But like this musical is very similar to like the Titus Andronicus, which we've talked about, where audiences are drawn to these violent, gruesome stories because we are naturally very violent and gruesome people. And yeah, we, we, we and we have society have repressed this energy, yeah. and this is one of those things that allows us to let it out in a delightful way that we can leave the theater not feeling gross. It's like, oh, okay, we've had, we, we had a, but then you get home and you're like, what did I just see? It's one of those knee-jerk things where at the time you feel good, but then you, you go home and go, wait a minute. It's also, it's also playing on the idea of the Victorian peep show. Yes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. theater as, as a voyeuristic activity. Oh, absolutely, and, this is voyeuristic. Uh, we, we derive pleasure from mm-hmm. pain, and I think that is very much highlighted here. Yeah. Um, and we're rooting for Sweeney. We root for him. And we, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Think about it. It's, it tests the human spirit. It tests our moral it code. Mm-hmm. And I think that's highly interesting. Yeah, and on that note, I think that's where we can end that epi- our talk on Sweeney Todd. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Thank it's you. been an absolute treat with you visiting our lovely little pie shop here. Uh, we hope you enjoyed your meat pie. Yeah. Uh, we want to send a big thank you out to our theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld. Brody Weld. Who is still chugging away with new tracks every Love few it. weeks for his new album. Uh, you, uh, make sure you listen to his uh, big hit right now, which is Home Decor, which is his rap all about household furniture and fatherhood. Uh, you can find that on Spotify and Apple Music and all other great platforms like that. Uh, you... Uh, can find us at Before the Downbeat on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to check in on that because, you know, we are doing all kinds of fun stuff there, whether it is uh, fun facts and clues. We're doing Playbill musical challenges on a daily basis. We are okay. doing all the things on those. And then if you haven't yet, feel free to jump on over to our Patreon. Donate a little bit of money each month to keep those lights on. Um Keep us out of the workhouse, as it were. The workhouse. And in return, exactly. Yeah. In return, we'll, yeah, we'll, give you mo- we'll give you all types of fun things, like, like a movie musical commentaries, uh, monthly theater news reviews, top 10 shows. Uh, we will be giving you deleted scenes from the episode, because I'm sure there'll be some tangents in here that I will edit out for sake of time, because <laughs> we just have to tighten things up every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, check that out, Patreon before the downbeat. And Autumn, where can they find you if they want to contact you directly? All the places. Autumn DM Smith, Facebook, Instagram, or the business name Littlewood Smith. Wonderful. And you, woohoo. And you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Uh, follow me there for all types of fun things, like my work with Cup of Hemlock Theater, where I'm hosting weekly 
Shakespeare uh, discussion panels based off the mm-hmm. streaming shows that Stratford is doing. Autumn's coming on to one. Very exciting. You'll, you'll, have, you'll have to tune in to find out which Shakespeare play she's going to be talking about. I was, I was going to be on the last one, but I, I couldn't. Life got in yeah, the way. No. Yeah, hey, okay. We got another great one for you lined up. Um, mm-hmm. So be sure to check that out. Cup of Hemlock Theater on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTubes. Uh, but on that note, thanks again, everybody. We look forward to seeing you next week where we will reveal our next uh, musical we will cover. Mm-hmm. And until then, uh, attend the tale, everybody. Of Sweeney Todd. Yes, because to seek vengeance may lead to hell, but everyone does it as well. Ba da 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 da. Bum. Ah, bum. The demon bottom of feet.